Father, we thank you for um, all the kids that went up on that retreat, and I pray that the work that you begun and and we're continuing up there. I pray that it would still continue and Jesus, that you would set them on a path at their young age where they can honor you and live for you and not make the mistakes that many of us adults made. Um, Lord, we all were (laughs) awful, most of us and as teenagers. And Lord, we, uh, we pray that you would protect them from those type of mistakes and give them a heart that longs for you and your word And we pray that as now, as all of us open your word and study Jesus, that you would speak to us powerfully. In your name we pray, amen. We're in Exodus chapter three, and the title of today's message is called Take Off Your Sandals. So is anyone wearing sandals? Just just Jill, the nine-month pregnant, and okay, we got some sandals going on. All right, so you must take off your sandals for this sermon, but just kidding, you don't have to. I'm sure your toes are freezing. I'm not sure what sandals are doing to help that, but... Take off your sandals is the title of the sermon. All right, and uh, we're going through Exodus, which means the Exodus is about redemption. That means God rescuing or or coming after his people and taking care of them. We saw in chapter one that his people were in a lot of trouble. They had become slaves over a few hundred years. We looked at some archaeological evidence that proves the Bible is completely true, like all true archaeology does. And uh, we're going to see some more of that today. And uh, we went through chapter one. We saw, you know, God, their need for a redeemer. And then we're starting to see his plan for redeeming them started with a little baby, a little innocent, sweet, weak baby born. And what was his name? Moses. That's right, Moses. And we saw he went through 40 years of being a, uh, an awesome guy uh, in Egypt. He was rich. He was uh, powerful. He was a general in their army. He, he was a, a, a great man who had major abilities. And then we, had, we see that he had a calling in his heart to rescue his brethren. The brethren that he grew up among the, the Jews, his younger ages, and so he knew that he was one of them, he, that they were his family. He knew that God had promised to deliver them, and he even knew that God was going to use him. He had a calling in his life and so he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and so he went and defended the Hebrew, and he killed the Egyptian, but that was not a good choice. He was getting ahead of God's plan. He was not being patient. He was trying to do things out of his, what? Flesh. Man, you guys are well-taught, church. I love it. He was doing things out of his flesh, and that never accomplishes anything good, but God turns it around. Because last week's sermon was called The Twists and Turns of Walking by Faith. God turns it all around, and God takes him out to the desert. Now, we pick it up in chapter 3, verse 1. He has been in the desert for 40 years. 40 years. Now, who did he find in the desert? He found his relative, the priest of Midian, and uh, Jethro was his name. And uh, he had seven daughters. Moses married one, and so Moses is now 80 years old. We don't have anyone in this room 80 years old. I'm just double checking. Okay, we have no one in this room 80 years old. I don't even know anyone 80 years old. I don't think none of my family is the oldest people. My wife and I were talking 75 is the oldest person I know in my family. Does anyone else have like an old person in their family? What's the oldest? What's the oldest you got? Whoa. Whoa. 93? You're not 93. You know someone, right? Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> Paul. Paul, right? It's Paul. Just kidding. All right. What about you, Kevin? Oh, uh, 
87? Ah, just kidding. <laughs> 80 years old Moses is. That is old and, and like wrinkled. I mean, this guy is old. And he's been living in the desert now for 40 years. I haven't even been alive for 40 years yet. I'm 35. And I can't even imagine being 40. That seems like so old. It, seems, it just does. I'm sure when I turn 36, everything will change and I'll be like, I'm almost there. But right now, I'm 35 and 40 is never coming. Never. But I'm getting gray hair and I'm excited. I'm excited about my gray hair. It's pretty, that's at least, that's right. If, I, if my hair falls out here, I can just comb it up and make a, I'm planning ahead, right? Okay. So Moses is 80, 80. I just wanted to sink in 80 years old. He really thinks and f- probably feels every... When you guys wake up in the morning, do you feel old? Oh, man. Can you imagine sleeping in the desert for 40 years, rocks as your pillow with nothing but sheep to keep you company and how old you would feel? I mean, he has been broken down. He's 80 years old. All right. So we get to verse 1, and it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Okay, so I want to show you guys a couple things. First, do we have the image of the the picture? Okay, we got a picture here of the geography. I love geography. It's my favorite subject in school. So Egypt is up there where it says Lower Egypt even though it's at the upper side of Egypt, but lower is the, G, the elevation. Okay, so he had journeyed out through here when he ran away, and he came to this place called Midian is right there. Now notice where Midian is. It is not over here. And this is where a lot of your um, Bibles will say Mount Sinai is, and we're going to get to that, but it is not in the Sinai Peninsula. It is in Midian over here. This is where Moses was. This is where Jethro was over on this side, okay? This is Saudi Arabia, this big area over here. So he's over there, over there. I want that to be be clear about that. Now, I got a little video I'm going to show you guys real quick. And this video is going to take you on a little tour of some things that you you can see. And so this video is from Google Earth. You know that cool thing? I love just wasting time looking at islands in the middle of nowhere on Google Earth. It's pretty fun. So I got this little, go ahead and just play. Um, so, they, you recognize that? <laughs> we need some geography lessons in here if you don't. All right, well, we're going to zoom in to exactly where you are sitting right now. That is our church right there. Isn't that amazing? It's crooked? It is crooked. We're, we're kind of cattywampus in how we shape. So, this is, this is us. Now, now we're going to go over to the other side of the world to a big internet, uh, oh, well, we're going to make a quick stop here in Disney World. This is, so if we're going on vacation, we may as well stop in Disney World, right? So this is Epcot right there, and you can see all the nation. Okay, so we're done with Epcot now. We're going to the real other side of the world, and we're going to stop right here just to get your bearings. And Oh, look at that. There is the Great Pyramid. You see that? So it's kind of up in there, and you see the Great Pyramid, and there's another pyramid there and another pyramid there. Oh, you can even see the Sphinx right there. See it? You can kind of see it right there. 
Okay, so that's just to get your bearings of where you're at. So Moses, this is where he grew up. And this area was where the ancient cities and stuff where Moses went to college and he became a great man, one of the most learned in all of Egypt, next in line probably to be Pharaoh. And so he's going, but he gets kicked out and he travels over Mount Sinai and over all the way over here to Midian. And you see, this is Mount Sinai. This is the real Mount Sinai. You can tell a few things. We're going to look at this much, much more in depth as we study but you can see the, the, the top of it is black. Do you know why it's black? Because the presence of God burnt it. So that is Sinai, okay? That's the mountain he is at right here as we get to this point. He came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and Horeb is called Sinai. So there's kind of the whole geography that you can see right there. Israel is up to the top corner, as you can see. Um, and all those little pinpoints are things that we're going to look at over the next few weeks of things that you're gonna, we're going to actually show you where things happened, evidence of different things. And so you can see kind of backed out the whole way there. So we'll, we'll do more of that stuff. I like that stuff. <clears throat> so Moses, 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 Moses. Moses was chosen by God for a very special job. Okay, It was delivering the people. And he saved at this very young age uh, but Moses was not ready to do the thing God wanted him to do. He was smart. He was smart, okay? He was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, it says in the Bible. But that wasn't good enough. It wouldn't cut it. He, and he, he wasn't too young anymore. He's 40 years old. Or he wasn't, sorry, he wasn't too young. He was 40 years old at the time that he left, which means he was in the prime of his life, so I hear. But that wasn't enough. You know, he's smart and he's in a good age, okay? And he wasn't a student anymore. He was mighty in deeds, it said. He, he could really get stuff done. So being, you know, in your prime of life and being smart and able to get things done, aren't these the things we need to be a leader in this world and to make a difference in this world? And uh, God would say, no, no, those are not what you need. In Luke chapter 16, verse 15, uh, Jesus said, uh, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows the hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Abomination in the sight of God. What is God looking for then? If he doesn't need smart people, and he doesn't need people at the prime of their life, and he doesn't need people who are able to get things done all by themselves, what does he need? Obedience, right? Humility and faith are two things that we zero in on all the time as being super important. We often want to bring those other things besides humility and faith because those are things that we can see, that we can grasp. If someone writes a resume, they don't write a resume. Someone writes a resume, they don't write down their, their character qualities of, oh, I'm very humble. In fact, if you wrote that on your resume, they probably wouldn't believe you. <laughs> and and I, I really trust in an invisible God to meet all my needs. Those are not things that you can write down. They're not tangible. So we have a hard time living in that place. We like to say, look at what I did. Look how hard I tried. Look how badly I want it. Look at my skills. Look at my talents. Look at my accomplishments. Those look very pretty on a resume, don't they? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is telling the Corinthians his resume. And he says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. 
And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that, this is the reason, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So what's the question? What's wrong with all my efforts? Isn't it a good thing to do your best for God? In fact, I hear a lot. He deserves your best. He deserves your best, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give everything I have for the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dedicate. I'm going to try. I'm going to... Why is that not right? Because it's not correct. God does not deserve your best. Did you know that? He deserves perfect. And that's the problem. Because your best is not perfect. That's a high standard. It's explained to us in the Ten Commandments, isn't it? In those Ten Commandments, he gave us, and how many of us have read those and be like, oh, easy. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, I got it. No, it doesn't. It, it, it's a high standard. And it's high and it's holy because God is high and holy. And he accepts nothing except those things that are perfect. If he accepted things that were less than perfect, like uh, your best, he would be less than perfect himself and he would cease to be a God and we would all blow up in a giant inferno of fire. Because he holds everything together. So he must accept only perfection or he would cease to be God. He's God, so he's perfect. And so this leads us to what Jesus is. Because what is Jesus? Perfect, and he is God, so he is perfect. He does everything right. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, this is all introduction. So we're going to get there in just a second. We're not doing the whole chapter, so don't worry that we're like, have a long way to go. We're just going to do a few verses today. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, it says, What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of law, that high and perfect standard that we were just talking about, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So our perfection, God loves us so much, he gives it to us as a free gift. It is not earned, it's not by the flesh, like Moses thought, oh, I could do it for 40 years he spent, I'm going to earn it, I'm going to figure it out, I'm going to do it. His calling, no, it can't be like that. God set up this new way where Jesus gives us his life and his perfection as we walk in the Spirit. So how do you get the Spirit? You ask him, you invite him. Luke eleven thirteen. just so you remember this verse. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? Not pay the Holy Spirit to those who work for him, give to those who ask for him. It is very important that we understand the difference in that. You can't earn the Holy Spirit. And that's what we default to. Oh, I didn't get up and read my Bible today, so I don't get the Holy Spirit. 
He's going to be mad at me. He's going to pout up in heaven and throw a fit that I didn't give him my best. That's not true. He gives his Holy Spirit to those who ask. All you have to do to ask is be humble and say, I need it. In your heart, you have to really believe that you need his Holy Spirit. You need his perfection because you don't have it yourself. If you recognize your own need, you have everything it takes to receive the Holy Spirit. He'll give it to you if you ask him in faith. Moses, he's learning this new way to think for these 40 years, a new way, less about himself and more about Jesus. Moses is learning that. Where can we learn that lesson? We need to think less about ourselves, don't we? And more about Jesus. So where can we learn that? Well, let's read our verse again. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led him to the backside of the desert. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And I think a good answer to where we can learn such lessons is the backside of the desert. I like it. I don't even know where the front side of the desert is, but the backside seems like it's a really messed up place. The backside of the desert. This is where you go when you're done trying to impress people. That's where you can go. Where it's just you and God. You know, where that, that's a place where humility can thrive. You know, when you're done trying to impress people and you know you can't do it yourself, you get, go get alone with the Lord. It's very important to go get alone with God. And in our world, it seems like everything is fighting against that, doesn't it? But God is faithful to meet with us if we will go. Moses, he is learning through these 40 years of living in the desert and going to the backside of the desert how to have a real relationship with God. Not someone he's made up, not trying to impress people. Who's there to impress? Your sheep? They already think you're cool. Or they don't. Who cares? They don't think. They're dumb. Moses has one person to talk to, God. And, and he's spending these 40 years growing in grace. He, Elisha, he followed Elijah for 10 years, learning how to walk. Jesus, he spent 30 years just walking with his father. Walking with God is the point of life. Did you know it's more important to just walk with God than it is to serve God? A lot of us think, I want to serve the Lord. I got great plans to serve the Lord. But walking with God and learning of him, his character, what's called communing with him, communion, is so much more important. Horeb, the name of this mountain, which will later be called Sinai, Horeb means deserted or alone. Alone. Because it doesn't matter where you are. God wants to walk with you. Just ask Enoch. You remember Enoch? He walked with God, it says, for 300 years. And then the Lord just took him home. And I imagine that conversation with Enoch, you know, walking with the Lord, and he's just been walking, and 300 years go by, and, and God's like, hey, you want to go for a walk again today? And Enoch's like, yeah, of course, let's go. So they go on their walk, and they're just walking, and they're just talking and walking and talking. And God looks at him and says, hey, bro, we're closer to my house right now than yours. You want to just go home? I just love that picture. And Enoch's like, all right. That's what I think that whole thing was about. And when we walk with God through deserts, 
we learn, listen, what a total waste human resources are. A total waste. And we learn how to completely depend on our Lord God for everything. That's what we learn in deserts. What a total waste human resources are and how to completely depend. Let's look at our next verse. Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Who is this angel of the Lord? Let's investigate. You guys know already, I know. But we're going to investigate it anyway because it's super cool. The only other time the word bush is used in the Old Testament is in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 16. Now, again, we're investigating who this figure is in this bush. And he says in Deuteronomy 33, 16, with the precious things of the earth and its fullness and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush, dwelt in the bush. Now, that word dwelt, okay, is attached to the word bush in Hebrew in this, in this text we just saw. And the word dwelt is the word shekinah. Shekinah, you ever heard that word before? Absolutely, it's the shekinah glory of God. The shekinah glory of God. Okay, so that means that this, whatever's in this bush, has the one thing that only God has, his shekinah glory. That, that just means his abiding glory. The, we're going to look at what glory means at the end of this study. But just remember, we know that this bush, whatever's in this bush, is God is God. And fire. We see fire at this bush too. So we see Shekinah glory. We see fire. And fire is often used as a symbol for God and divine things. It can be divine beings, like a lot of times the angels appear in fire. Things that belong in heaven we see on fire. We see judgment of heaven is, is seen as fire, etc. There's a lot of different things. So every time someone sees God, who are they seeing? Jesus, because the Bible says no one has ever seen God the Father at any time, nor could they, or they would die. Not holy enough to see him. And he's a spirit, he's invisible. So anytime you see the Lord, anytime the Lord says, speaks to someone, touches someone, reveals himself here on this earth, that is Jesus making a, what's called a Christophany or a theophany, an appearance of Jesus. Before he was born as a baby, he could appear to men before he came. So uh, we're going to see this person talking to Moses in a couple verses is called the Lord, which uh, when your Bible has Lord in all capital letters, L-O-R-D, that's um, the name of God, which is Yahweh or Y-H-V-H in Hebrew. Um, and he's called God, whoever's talking here. So we know this is God, and since God is reaching out, and since there's conversation happening, we know it's Jesus interacting with Moses. Now, what does this teach us? Why am I talking about this? What's the application for our life? It's good to know these type of things, but what does it mean? Well, Moses finding this, this burning bush, it teaches us that before we can really serve the Lord, we need to see Jesus in his glory. 
before we can really serve the Lord, you need to have a personal conversation with Jesus. You need to have a, a, a revelation of who Jesus is. We can't know about Jesus. We can't just be born as a Christian. I, I talk to people on the street sometimes and say, are you a Christian? And they'll say, sure I am. I was born in America. And I'm like, no, 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 right? And then you help them understand what a Christian really is. You can't, that's not a Christian. You can't have your parents' faith. You know, I hope that my boys don't grow up thinking that they're Christians because their dad's a pastor. Because that's just not true. You have to make your own decisions. And you also can't just say, I'm a Christian because I know it's the right thing to do. That also doesn't work. We have to really encounter Jesus for ourselves. We have to really encounter him. But you might be thinking, well, I haven't seen anything crazy yet. Where's my burning bush? Why haven't I seen the glory of God in my life? Well, those are really good questions. And I, so I got a couple questions for you. Are you still in Egypt? Are you still in Egypt? Have you really left the world and all it has to offer, or are you still living there? In other words, are your, is your life about you still? Is your life about your dreams and your plans and your choices? Or if you live surrendered to God to live about his kingdom? Remember, the, the, the prayer that Jesus taught us said, your kingdom come. You're, if we're praying that every day, it's changing what we're thinking about. We're, I, I'm not going to be praying for a, 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 a Mercedes if I want his kingdom to come. I'll be praying for the church to be strengthened. I'll be praying for God to raise up. I'll be praying for my kids and my family to turn to the Lord. I'll be praying for all these things about his kingdom. If that's my heart, I can ask for anything and the Lord will answer. Anything. Because it's his kingdom, and he cares very much about his kingdom. But if I'm still living in Egypt, I'm going to be all about my things, and I'm probably not going to have an encounter with the glory of God like Moses is right here. Have you decided to walk with God through the desert, even though it's boring and hot or cold and uncomfortable at church, and you never get famous or have any fun walking with God? It might be. Yes, church can be boring. The Bible can seem boring. But so is being a gardener. And there's still a lot of gardeners. In fact, there's a garden like right over there. And people are in it all the time. Just being boring. Like what else is... Uh, they, they see something. It's valuable to them. This peaceful gardening stuff. It's, it's important to them. Why? Because they, they want to see the growth. They want to see what happens when you invest in something like that. And, you know, we need to go to church. We need to open our word so that we can meet with God, the God of glory. He will meet with you here. He will. He's promised to. He's promised to. He will meet with you in your closet with your Bible, he will. Those are his promises. And when you do the, the word and the church, when you actually see him reveal his glory to you, the church is never the same again. And reading your word is never boring again. And, I, and it's, it's just true. 
once you've seen the glory of God, the Bible just comes alive. And if that happened, hasn't happened to you yet, it's okay. Just keep walking. It took Moses 40 years to have this. Some, some people just need to walk with the Lord, and he, but he will show his glory. He will show up in your life. So number se- the second question, first question is, are you in Egypt? Number two then, are you, are you being patient? Are you just being patient? Farmers who aren't patient are really bad at their job. I used to be impatient, but I just don't have time for it anymore. <laughs> Moses had to wait 40 years, 40 years. He had to be patient. You know, I wonder if some of us get tired after a month of seeking the Lord. I wonder if many of us have even sought the Lord for a month. I'm not saying fasting or anything, just reading your Bible, seeking the Lord. Not letting other things input into your brain, but just the Word of God, Christian songs, Christian books. Just, let, just seek Him for a month and see what happens. Be patient. All right, we're back to verse 2 again. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was on fire, but the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Now this is the cool part. This is why you paid good money to be here. Just kidding. (laughs) The burning bush is yet another picture for us of Jesus, the person and work of Jesus, what he does. How, you say, he does not look like a burning bush? Well, let's see. Fire represents the God's divine judgment in many places in the word of God, as it does here. And here we see uh, a fire burning a bush. Now the word for bush is sena in Hebrew. Everyone say sena. Now like a Jew, sena. There you go. Good job. Which literally means a thorn bush. A thorn bush is the actual bush that this is. A thorn bush. Now what do thorns make you think of? The curse. Thorns did never happen before the curse. God said that because man sinned, the ground would produce thorns. Okay, so it takes us back to the curse when man sinned. Now, bushes generally burn up very fast in the desert. I don't know if you knew that, but I learned that. So if you're in the desert and you see a bush, don't smoke your cigarettes by it. So this type should be that the bush was burned up very quickly by the fire because that's what sin deserves. Sin deserves to be burnt up by God's judgment. Quick and total judgment. That's what sin deserves. So if things were right in our picture, the bush would burn very quickly, but it doesn't. And so this is a picture of something else. It's instead, it's a picture of Jesus. He took the judgment and the punishment of God for us. When he was nailed on a cross, then God poured out the fire of his righteousness and his righteous anger at sin upon Jesus, but Jesus did not burn up. He was pure and holy enough to take it. What happens when you burn a pure metal like gold? It doesn't refine it anymore because it's already pure, okay? Uh, He was pure and holy enough to take it. He was only in the grave for three days and he rose from the dead. And that's the resurrection that we see where life 
endured even in judgment. This is what we see. We see this bush enduring even in the midst of fire, life even in the midst of death. Life had the victory. Now I'm going to link this with a couple things in the New Testament for you that are going to kind of blow your mind. Ready? This is, this is really us right here. Romans 5.21 says, so, as, uh, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness into eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's only through Jesus that this can happen, that there can be alive in death, that there can be life through death, but it can only happen through Jesus. And what kind of life is it? It's, it's a resurrection life, a resurrection life. A lot of people think that's impossible, but check out what Jesus said. In Luke chapter 20, verse 27, he's talking to these Sadducees who deny there's a resurrection. And they came to him and asked him uh, a question about resurrection. But they, they're the people he's talking to. And he answers them back down 30, verse 37. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised. He links it. Jesus commentaries for us on this very verse that we just read in Exodus. And he says this verse is about resurrection. When, the, when he's talking to the Pharisees who don't believe in anything supernatural, they think God is just you know, either fake or they're agnostic or they don't, they don't care that he's a real person and that he's powerful. When he's talking to them, he points them to resurrection life. And Jesus later just told them, I am the resurrection and the life. So this whole burning bush is a picture of Jesus and what he does for us. Jesus is the life that cannot be beat or burned. Every other living thing that has ever lived on this earth died. But Jesus lived before everything. Jesus made everything alive. He's the source of life. And so death only came into this world because of man's sin. So when Jesus became a man, he came so that he could bring his life back into this world, his never-ending life. And it's pretty amazing how he accomplishes that for us through death. So once he died and took all that death into him, he still could be alive because he's the author of life. Now, back to our verse in Exodus chapter 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him from the flame of fire, from the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush wasn't consumed. And then Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not consumed. We are almost done. Moses turns aside. That's important for us to look at. Because Moses turned away from his plan and his life, uh, all the stuff he was busy with, which I tried to make a list of all the things he would have been busy with, and I couldn't come up with very many things because he's living in the desert just watching sheep poop and procreate That's, and eat. That's all that he did. But he, he turns away from it. And he's able to do that because the Lord has prepared him for this. He didn't have much to turn away from. He's in the desert, only sheep to look at. It's okay. The Lord has kind of broken him of his infatuation with the world. And I think some of us need to go through that so that we can turn aside to see what God is actually doing. How many times do we choose something else over the word? 
spending time with him. Whether it's sports or a game or whatever we do, well, how many times do we do that? And we're so fixated on the things that we look at that there could be God revealing his glory right over here. And we're just like, oh, look at these sheep. Why? We need, we need to turn away from those things. We need to give the Lord a chance. Oh, the Lord has never revealed anything to me. Well, do you, do you open his word and read it with humility and faith? Because I'm pretty sure his heart is to re- He's not playing hide and seek with you. He's not like, oh, I don't want to be found by this person. No, he will. In fact, he makes a promise and says, anyone who seeks me with all their heart will find me. That is his word. So someone comes up to me and say, oh, I sought the Lord and he didn't show up to me. And I say gently and in love, you're a big fat liar. No, you did not. No, you did not. Because the Lord says, if you sought me, you'd find me. If you seek me, you'll find me. That is his promise. And I'm not going to believe you, no matter who you are, over him. And if you say, no, I sought the Lord. It didn't work for me. No, you didn't. You didn't. Now, verse 4. So the Lord saw that he turned aside to look. And God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near to this place, but take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Well, this explains the the fire and what it means. It's the holy presence of God. The holy presence of God, holiness. Moses needs to know, uh, and God is willing to explain some things here. Number one thing Moses needs to know is that God is holy. What does that mean? God says, take off your your sandals because the place you're standing is holy. My my fire's here and I'm actually going to meet with you. And that means I'm holy. So you need to to know what this means. Later, when they build the temple, we're going to see that the same glory of God, this Shekinah glory that we've already seen here, is going to come in a visible form for all the people to see come floating over the top of the temple and the tabernacle. And in the inner place is called the holy of holies. So this word holy is being used a whole bunch and we don't really even know what it means yet. Or it's called the holiest of all. Is that place where his presence dwells in the tabernacle. And the people of God, us, and Moses, the servants of God, we all need to know what this holiness is. So what does it mean? Well, it doesn't just mean sinless and, and perfect. That those can kind of fall under the definition of it, but it, it has this idea of other. Other. Well, what does that mean? It means he's different. He's, he's from another realm. He's different. He's holy. And, and this doesn't mean he's just more holy than you. He is all holy. He is the definition of holy. So that's why it's so hard to define holy for us because it's, it's what God is. He's holy. He, he, he's more than even just the definition of holy. It says he's holy, holy, holy. Thrice holy. 
In fact, they have a name for holy, holy, holy. You know, it says holy, holy, holy in the in book of Isaiah, the Revelation, the angels are all singing holy, holy, holy. Well, that's called the trihagion. Holy moly. <laughs> the trihagion. So you guys are learning a lot today. Trihagion means the three holy one, the thrice holy one. Uh, and the reason why they repeat it the three times is to show intensity. It would be like if we're like the Broncos made it to the super, super, super bowl. That kind of gets the idea across. Oh, this isn't just the super bowl. This isn't just the super duper bowl. This is the super, super, super bowl. Like once every 50 years, they have one of those. <laughs> uh, or if we said, that's a really, really, really awesome guy. We do that. We know what this is. But it's just weird when we read it on paper. It also kind of represents the past, the present, and the future, that he's a God who never changes, and he's always holy, he's always other, he's always amazing, he's always everything. And so he says, take off your sandals. Well, why? Why does Moses need to take off his sandals? Well, God told, wants Moses to remove his shoes or his sandals that he wore for all of his normal life. Because when you meet with God in his holiness, you can't treat it like the rest of your life. Okay? I like football. And during a Bronco game, I, I sit in a specific place. And I wear specific things. You're just like idolatry, idolatry, idolatry. I know, I know what's in your mind right now, but I love you anyway. <laughs> it's other. It's, it's, it's different in my life than the, my normal time. <laughs> I remove my sandals, you could say. <laughs> I like to be barefoot when I watch, you know, because it's, it's different. It's not the normal time of my life. All the rest of my boring life, no. It's football. You guys get the point now, right? And I am exaggerating. It's not that intense. But I do yell and scream quite a bit. So that's not an exaggeration. And all you guys have been in my house and like, yeah, we know. When you meet with God in his holiness, you can't treat it like the rest of your life. It's more important. He has to be honored and respected and feared and loved more than everything else. Why? Because he's holy. Why? He just is. And once you see his glory, it's, it, it's not that hard. You're like, oh my gosh, he's so awesome. Oh my gosh, he loves me so much. Oh my gosh, this word is filled with so much goodness and directed towards me and promises of this holy God that can be given to me and I actually partake in his holiness as I read the word and believe it. Is that how you come into church? Oh, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to meet with God. I'm ready. Or is it a burden? Oh, got to get up before 10 a.m. Oh. Is this intense, hearing the word of God? I, I want to know what God has for me. Or is it boring? 
Do you feel that intense gaze of his eyes that are looking to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for someone he can reveal himself to and show himself strong in? Do you feel that? Or are you numb to the searching of the Holy Spirit? Frodo, when the eye of Sauron, ah, he knew about it. He was sensitive to it. Bad example, but. Do you leave your sandals at the door? And that's just church. This can happen at your home too. Because he said, you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. He can meet with you wherever you want. You just go and open up your word, close your eyes, whatever. Just pray to him and you could have that same. Or do you pray with him like, sup, dude? Yeah. Talk with him like your friends? No. We don't do that. That's not God. There is a holiness to God. God is holy. He's the judge of every man. Yet he calls out to each one of us in love, are you ready to hear his voice? You got to take off your shoes. You got to be humble and faithful, expectant. That's how we come into his presence. You know, we sing songs at the beginning and that's not warm up. <laughs> Although maybe today it was a little bit of warm up because it's freezing in here, I know. But it's not warm up for the main event at all. It's, it's we come in, we, we focus on him and give him not our best. We humble ourselves before him and look to him expectantly. Do you see how it's different than our works? And, and we're not coming in to try to earn it. God is willing to give it, but he gives it to the humble. James 4, 6, God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. And so some of us are worshiping him in here and we're humble. Maybe you're just... Stand there. But inside, you're wrecked. I like your word. We're wrecked. You're just like, oh, Lord, I need you so much. And you're just worshiping maybe in silence. Maybe you're sitting there. Maybe you raise your hands. It doesn't matter. If you're humble, God is with you and he's going to pour out his grace. But some people in pride, look at how good I sing. And they're just like, they want the attention. Or in their mind, they're like, I don't really need to be here. I don't know why we sing these stupid songs. I don't know why I'm bored. And God says, pride, done, none of my presence for you. That's how it works. It's on you. It's on you to worship the Lord in holiness. It's on you to just be humble. He will pour out his presence on the humble. And that's what our study is for this week. We're going to stand now. We're going to just say a prayer and we will be done for today. And I'm going to go out in the sun and warm up after church. <laughs> go outside and warm up. <laughs> so freezing in here today. Okay. God, we, um, we come into your presence, and Lord, we need you so much, Jesus. And the word you gave to me this week is that uh, if we would open our mouth, you would fill it uh, with your goodness and with your promises and your love and your provision. And Lord God, we need you to do that. We need you. We need your Holy Spirit. Because this world is not our home. This world does not satisfy us. Jesus, only you do. God, your presence is what we need more than anything. 
and your Shekinah glory, the same glory that Moses saw in this fire, Lord, you offer it to us in our hearts. Invisible, yet so on fire and real. You offer it to every man and woman who would just humbly ask. Father, we humbly ask. We are sinners. We humbly ask you to cleanse us of our sin. We humbly ask you to change our hearts from our sinful ways. And we humbly ask for you to come and commune with us and walk with us. Lord, we know your kingdom. You got plans you want to do that we can't even imagine. But you can't do anything unless your people will humble themselves and seek you first. Seek your kingdom first and pray for your kingdom. Lord, we pray for revival in our church, in our hearts. We pray that you would uh, along with that revival, you would heal all the physical things going wrong. We pray for Jared's headaches right now, that you, they would be gone by your love and by your mercy, that you would heal him. We all agree, Lord, that he is called to worship you and to, and to serve you. And we thank you for the work you've been doing in his life. We pray for Cindy and the, the heart things she's had going on, and we pray that you would fix that so that she can serve you, love her family, love her, her daughter, and help her to be a light in this world. Lord, for those of us who don't know exactly what your calling is for our life, I pray we just put that on the shelf right now, and we would hear your voice that you would desire to walk with us first before you reveal your calling in our life. You desire to just Show us who you are. Lord, help us to be like Enoch. Be willing to just walk with you. It's better than anything we got going on, Lord. You are better than all in this world. You are holy. You're other. Jesus, I pray that you would take whatever words I've said, Lord, you would bring life and and meaning and power to them uh, by your own strength. For your glory, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.